I believe there's a few more grandparents being enlisted this morning in the child control department. The Shekinah Ladies Group is away for the weekend on their retreat, and so a number of them are away. And uh, we've uh, had to uh, figure some things out on the fly. So we're, we're doing pretty good, though, I'd say. It's, it's great to be here again this morning, and I pray that you are anticipating what God has in store for us this morning as we enter His Word. And so I would invite you to bow with me as we enter God's Word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions for us every single day. That you, Lord, have new mercies, new gifts for us every single day that we wake up. Each day is a gift, and we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for this day and another opportunity that we have to gather together in your church as your people and to hear from you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we've worshipped you through song, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word, and we invite your Holy Spirit to come and do that work within us that you will. And so we pray that you would just have us enter into, Lord, what you have prepared for us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you a story about a Christian man who owned a barber shop. And one day at a church service, the barber sensed God speaking to his heart. And he was telling him that since he had received God's great love, grace, and forgiveness for himself, that it was time that he started sharing that great message of God's love with others. And so he, he just felt this conviction within his heart that he needed to play his part in this. However, he was unsure about how to go about doing this. And so the very next evening, he looked at some of the things that his church was offering, and one of the things he noticed was an evangelism course. And so he immediately enrolled and began attending faithfully that very week. And so for two weeks, he went through the courses and all of the the classes. He rehearsed the material, he took extensive notes, and he memorized the assigned Bible verses that they had given to him. And so at the end of the two weeks, he received a plaque acknowledging his completion of the evangelism course. And so the next morning, he hung the plaque up in his barber shop. And he bowed his head and he prayed this prayer and he said, Dear Lord, help me to share your love with the first man who walks through the door of my shop this morning. And at that very moment, the bell rings above his door and in walks the biggest, meanest, foulest looking man that this barber had ever seen in his life. It seems that this man had recently lost a bet with some biker buddies and now he had to get his head shaved. And so, needless to say, as the man came and settled into his barber chair, he was a little bit intimidated at the prospect of quoting John 3.16 to a guy who had a tattoo of a flaming skull looking at him from the back of his neck. And so, well, intimidated, he said nothing. Unfortunately, the rest of the day didn't go any better. And by 5 p.m., he felt utterly defeated. He had not shared one word of God's love to a single person the entire day. And so finally, ashamed and feeling just discouraged, he bowed his head and he prayed one last time and he said, Dear Lord, if you allow me just one more opportunity, I promise this time I will do my part. And at that instant, the door opened and in walked a pleasant-looking gentleman. The man smiled at the barber, apologized for coming in so late, and asked for a shave. He took a seat in the barber's chair and The barber draped the man in the protective sheet, and then he began to try to remember 
what he was supposed to say to initiate this conversation. And suddenly this wave of nervous energy just swept over him and he began to get confused. His palms started sweating and his hands started shaking. And as he was putting the shaving cream on the man's face, he he tried to remember the icebreaker lines he'd been taught and the answers that he'd learned to any possible objections. But as he began to prepare the straight razor, he realized that he couldn't remember one single thing. And at this point, he just... His face turns red and sweat is breaking out on his forehead and his hands are trembling violently. And at the same time, the man in the chair is beginning to notice the barber's growing agitation. And he's beginning to feel a little bit nervous himself. But suddenly, something clicked in the barber's head. He finally remembered one talking point that he had learned in his evangelism course the past weeks. And it was a talking point about human mortality. And so taking a deep breath to try to calm himself down. He, he settled in to begin giving the man his shave, and with trembling hands, he gently held the straight razor to the man's throat to begin the shave. And with quivering voice, he asked him a simple question. Are you prepared to die? <laughs> I'm not quite sure how the conversation went from that point forward. I'm guessing that the barber was a little bit surprised at how willing this man was to listen. (laughs) Now let me ask you, have you ever felt a little bit like that barber? Now obviously not in that situation, but like him, have you ever felt God speak to your heart of this desire to share the love that he has shown you with others? You know, chances are that if, that if you're a Christian and you have received God's love in your life, the chances are you have felt a desire. God speaking within you that this is too good to keep to yourself. You just want to share it. You have to share it. Because one of the things that we have received and we, we understand is that this amazing love of God that he has poured out on us is not something we deserve. It's unconditional. He has loved us in spite of everything that we've done wrong, in spite of all of our failings, in spite of our sin. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, into this world to forgive us our sins, to die in our place, so that we could receive His forgiveness and that we could just walk with Him our entire life. Like, what a great gift is that? It doesn't get any better, this amazing love of God that He has given us. And so, if we've truly received this and we know the peace that comes in our hearts, this joy of salvation, this purpose that we have for living life for God and with Him, we want to share it. We want to be a part of other people finding out about this love as well. It's like a compulsion. In fact, the Apostle Paul described it just that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 14 to 15. It's our call to worship that was printed in your bulletin. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, That's the Lord Jesus. He died for everyone, and therefore all died. What a profound statement. That all have died, all have, in in the, the cross of Christ, all of our sins have died there because he died for everyone. And that includes you and me here this morning. He died in our place, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, you see, this, this is changing something. It's not just so we could be forgiven, but it's so that we could live differently. That we no longer live just for ourselves in this selfish way of living, but that we live for the one who has made this possible. We live for the Lord Jesus. 
And so when we live for him, we want to obey him. We want to serve him. We want to do the things that he has told us to do. And so Paul says, because of this, we are compelled. We are compelled by Christ's love. It's a strong word, this word compelled. Webster's Dictionary defines compel as to force or to oblige someone to do something. That's a, it's a powerful word to say that Christ's love compels us. If you have Christ's love in your life, in your heart, is it compelling you? Is it, is it forcing you into a certain direction? Not because we have this, this guilt or duty that we have to, but that it's so good, it compels us to share it. You know, if you have ever felt that compulsion, then you also know it's not always easy to follow through on. And so like that barber, perhaps you've been presented with golden opportunities to say something to someone, and you just let the opportunity pass you by. You, you, you sensed a, just a wide open window of opportunity to speak into someone's life about the love of God, about what he's done in your life perhaps, and you just froze and you let it slide by. Or perhaps worse yet, like the barber, you've tried to say something and you got all tongue-tied and it came out all wrong. Now, I, I, don't, I really hope you haven't had a scenario like the barber where you, you know, had a straight razor to someone's throat to ask that question. But perhaps you've been in a situation where you tried to say something and they misunderstood it. Or you just said it poorly. And so you've second-guessed yourself. You know, I'm just wondering, is this resonating with anyone? Is this hitting home, like, you know, where you want to do this? You want to share God's love, and yet sometimes we feel so inadequate, and we feel like we just maybe <laughs> just drop the ball. You know, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm more or less just describing myself as I look back on my own life. You know, trust me, you know, I'm a pastor, and yet I s still very often wrestle with exactly these sorts of things. You know, and I've received specific training about this. You know, like, I, I didn't just take a two-week course. I went to Bible college, and we learned all about evangelism and all about outreach and, and talking points and how to present the gospel in a simple way that anyone can understand. And even still, it doesn't just always come easily. You know, I've, I've come to see that for every one person that these things just come naturally to sharing and that it's easy for them, there's probably 50 other Christians who absolutely struggle with this, where it's just, it's hard. It doesn't just come naturally. And so, my question then is, we know that we're supposed to share this love. We know that it's supposed to compel us into action, that Christ's love is too good to keep to ourselves. So then I ask the question, what do we personally need to be more bold, to be more effective in sharing God's love with others around us? Do we need more knowledge? You know, do we simply not know enough? Do we need, you know, a, an evangelism 101 class? Do we need a step-by-step -step strategic plan? Well, there's plenty of those sorts of things out there, all sorts of material, and I don't want to knock them, because we do need knowledge. We need scriptural knowledge, and we need training. But that's not all that we need. Because in reality, there is no perfect formula or strategy that anyone can just learn or memorize in order to be effective and powerful in evangelism. If anything, those formulas, I think, overcomplicate things and leave us feeling either overwhelmed, confused, or unqualified. And so then we end up thinking that only the experts 
or the the super Christians can do this. But you know what? That couldn't be further from the truth. Because from the very mature veteran Christian to the brand new baby Christian, God wants to use you to share the goodness of his love with people around you. He wants to use you. And if he wants to use you, no matter how, how little you maybe know about you know, the, the big picture of Scripture, but if you know the core of the gospel, that God loves you, that he came to forgive you, if you know that much, God wants to use that message to influence others around you. And so he doesn't overcomplicate the process of how every last one of us can be involved in this. And so here's what I'm slowly learning about having an effective and bold witness of the love of God to those around us. I've broke it down to a simple one, two, three. One, two, three. One, listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be building off of a little bit of what I preached on two weeks ago. So, number one, listen to the Holy Spirit. Number two, obey and do what the Spirit tells you. And number three, love people in practical ways. So listen, obey, and love. We're going to see all three of these principles at work in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn there with me to Acts chapter 8 and verses 26 to 40. Now I want to give you a little bit of background as we go there in Acts chapter 8. The background to this story is that persecution of the believers, the new Christians in Jerusalem, and more specifically, the martyrdom of a man named Stephen, is what sent everyone scattered in in all directions. Now Stephen, you may be familiar with the story, he stands up and preaches boldly. And he preaches so boldly that the religious leaders can't handle the truth of what he's saying, and they end up having him stoned to death. And so after this, the Christians start hiding and they start running. And so they're scattered out into all of the areas in the region of Palestine. And so now the unintended side effect of this is that all of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee are beginning to have Christians coming out and sharing the love of God everywhere as they go. They're going out and sharing this good news about Jesus. And what's happening is the message is spreading. It's catching on. People are thirsty. They're hungry. They're, they're just drinking it up like this Jesus really was the son of God he really is the Messiah and so in Acts chapter 8 verse 5 we read that Philip is one of those who went out into the region of Samaria and he begins sharing the gospel of Jesus and get this even the Samaritans were being saved now that may not seem overly significant to you but to the Jews of the day who viewed the Samaritans as second-class citizens they viewed them as inferior as someone to look down upon For them, it was mind-boggling that the Samaritans could even be saved when they believed in Jesus Christ. And so, these are the sorts of things that's happening, and Philip was used powerfully to this end. And so, we see here that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but he came for the outcasts. He came for those who everyone else looked at as inferior, as not worthy of God's love. But yes, Jesus came for them, and in fact, he had come for the whole world. And we see that he has a plan set in motion that even the people of Africa would hear about this message of the Lord Jesus. And so we we pick up Philip's story in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord says to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, what an interesting story. Here an angel shows up and simply tells Philip, go south into the desert. That's it. No more instructions, just get up, get going south into the desert. Now, maybe for some of us, or maybe some of us who aren't here, um, maybe that's why a few people from around here have headed south into the deserts of Arizona. I don't know. Like, I, I never realized that that's actually scriptural because we see it right here. Go south into the desert. Okay. <laughs> Just had to get that out of the way. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had an angel show up and tell you to go south into the desert? Okay, if not that, have you ever had an angel show up and tell you anything? Have you ever seen an angel? Has an angel ever shown up and spoken to you? Now, all I can say is that To my knowledge, I have never seen nor spoken to an angel. But we need to remember that Scripture does say that we can meet angels and be unaware of who they are. They can be disguised as a regular human. And now I am quite certain, however, that I have had angels directly involved in saving my life on a few occasions when I was young, and I've shared some of those stories with you before. But to my knowledge, I have never talked to one. Or had one talk to me. Now, of course, we know that God still uses his angels today. They are still very much his servants and active and alive in his will and work in the world today. And I have met people who say that they have talked to angels. And I have heard some incredible stories of how angels have intervened in people's circumstances. But in the day-to-day life of the Christian... God's primary way of telling us specifically what to do is not through angels, but through his word, the Bible, and through the Holy Spirit, and the whispers, the inner promptings that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so, this is our our first point here that we need to remember. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we see this at play in Philip's story as well. The, The angel's the one who initially sends him on this journey, going south into the desert, But then in verse 29, we read that as he's on that road, the Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. See, one thing we know is that God can speak to us and direct us in a wide variety of ways. We see that throughout Scripture. He will use angels. He will use dreams. He will use the Bible. He will use other people. But again and again, the New Testament points to the inner promptings, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, as the primary means of directing specific action in the Christian life. And so here we see the Holy Spirit directing Philip, run beside that particular chariot right there. Not that one, not that one, that one. Go and just run beside it. What a strange, sort of bizarre prompting to get. Just go run beside a chariot. On a hot desert road, go do that. What an interesting thing that we see the Spirit directing him to do. In Acts chapter 10, verse 19, we see the Spirit at work in many different ways, prompting people to do specific actions that in and of themselves seem sort of bizarre. Acts 10, 19, the Spirit tells Peter very specifically 
that three men were looking for him and that he should get up immediately and go with them. And on a number of different occasions, we read that in Paul's missionary journeys, the Spirit would tell him to go one direction instead of another. Very specific course changes because of a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this all leading us to? Well, consider Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Verse 25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Or listen to how the uh, New Living Translation amplifies this meaning. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now what Paul's building off of in his theology here is that it is the Holy Spirit who is the assurance of our salvation. When we believe in Jesus Christ, the Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit of God comes and fills us and he gives us this peace, this assurance that we are God's children. And so the Holy Spirit is, set, is said to be a deposit, an assurance of our salvation. And so since we live by this Holy Spirit who comes and lives within us, he says we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, for Philip, it meant be prepared for anything. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit meant don't make long-term plans. Keep yourself fluid. Be ready for course changes at any given moment. Be prepared for anything. Consider this. One day, he is involved in a revival in Samaria, and the next day, he is heading south into the desert with no instructions or destination given. Notice that the angel's instructions are both extremely explicit, but also extremely vague at the same time. Just go south. That's clear enough. But the question, why? And what am I supposed to do when I get there? Not one word of explanation is given. But notice something. Philip simply obeys. There's no narrative here. Philip's not asking questions. He just does it. Interesting. Now, what can this look like for us today? Have you ever felt God's Spirit prompting you to do something that didn't make sense at the time, and it only made sense after you followed through and did it, and you said, wow, I, if only I had known ahead of time. You know, these sorts of things, I think if we were to share stories around this room, we would be blown away by how many times we were prompted to do something that we didn't understand at the time, and yet, in hindsight... It makes perfect sense. That's why it's always said, history makes the most sense read backwards. And so it is with the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the moment, are we going to believe God? Are we going to obey? Or are we going to say, ah, oh, that's crazy. I, I couldn't do that. You know, there's all sorts of amazing stories of people who have heard the Holy Spirit's promptings and the ways that it's played out. Let me share with you one of those. This is a true account of a young man who had just left his Wednesday evening Bible study. And so sitting in his car, he prayed, Lord, we study tonight about you speaking to Samuel. Do you still speak to people today? If you'll speak to me, I want to obey. Help me to obey. I want you to speak to me. And so after praying this prayer, he started to drive home. And on his way home, he passed a corner grocery store. And suddenly he felt, he heard this voice very clear within his head, just say to him, stop and buy a gallon of milk. Where did that come from? He knew his fridge was, he had milk. He didn't need any at home. It wasn't his own thoughts. Why should he stop and buy a gallon of milk? And 
this thought was so clear in his mind that he slammed on his brakes, he pulled over to the corner, and he just asked, Is that you, Lord? And again, the voice clear as day in his head just said, Buy a gallon of milk. And so now he's thinking, This is crazy. But if it's the Lord, I told him I would obey. And then, besides, I can always use the milk anyways. And so he goes to the grocery store, he buys the milk, and he starts on his way home again. When the voice within his head says, turn down this street and stop. So now he's like, I'm all in. I'm just going to keep going with this. And so reluctantly, he turns down this street, and he just stops. And all the while, he's asking himself, am I crazy? Again, the voice in his head prompts him, take the milk to that house. That specific house was dark, small, dilapidated. It was late. No lights were on, and it appeared that the occupants were asleep. That house. Take the milk to that house. And so sheepishly, this young man, he's like, I'm just going to go for this. If this doesn't turn out, like I'm going to check myself in for a mental examination. And so he decides he's going to go for this. And so he goes up sheepishly, knocks on the door. Suddenly a light turns on inside. A man opens the front door and stares at him. And trembling, the young man says, I don't know why, but I felt I should bring you some milk. And the man grabbed the milk and ran back down the hall shouting in Spanish. A young woman carrying a baby came to the door with tears streaming down her face. And she explained in broken English, We had no money to buy milk for our baby. So I prayed and asked God to send an angel with some milk. Are you an angel? The young man explained that his strange urge had just come that evening to bring them milk. And then before he left, he gave them all the money he had in his wallet. And he just left praising God and thanking him that he does still speak today. If only we will listen for his voice. And so how do we know if it's God and not just ourselves? Well, if we're not sure, the first thing we do is ask. You know, I was 19 years old when God confirmed to me the calling to go into full-time ministry. It happened in a moment of self-doubt, of weakness, as I lay face down on my bedroom floor. The lights were off, and I'm just laying there, and I'm telling God all of the reasons why I can't serve Him. All of the reasons why I would just be a failure if I tried. And as I'm pouring all of my self-doubt out to him, suddenly I find a voice in my head responding to every single objection that I had to serving him. And this conversation started to go back and forth in my head for so long that I began to think I was going crazy. You know, having an argument in your own head is just a bizarre thing to have happen. And finally I just asked, God, is that you? And the response, you know what it was? Well, who else would it be? He has a sense of humor, as I discovered. And then he said my name. He said, Danny, I made you, I love you, and I will give you the strength to serve me. And then he told me, open your Bible. Where to, I ask? Just open it. And so my Bible happened to be laying right beside my head, so in the dark, I flip it open, I turn on my lamp, and there it was, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, that my finger landed on. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know, I have had times since then where I've heard the Spirit direct me, or I have felt a prompting to do or say something. 
And I wish I could tell you that I'd never missed one instruction along the way. That wouldn't be true. (laughs) I've missed more than my fair share. But that day changed the course of my life because God spoke to me. His Holy Spirit prompted me. He told me things that I needed to hear. He told me things that only God could tell me. And it changed the course of my life. But I had to obey. I had to listen. And that's why I'm standing before you today. And so, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit since then, I've learned, is just a daily walk of being in relationship with God. You know, if we're not spending time in His Word or in prayer, if we're not spending time in fellowship talking about these things with other Christians, it's going to be hard to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You know, I think of it as similar in many ways to a marriage relationship. You know, when Leanne and I are are really busy, and, you know, we haven't been able to spend very much time together, sometimes she'll drop a subtle hint, something along the lines of, oh, we haven't gone out for supper in such a long time. Or, boy, some flowers would look really nice in that vase on the table. (laughs) And, you know, if I'm not really listening... Those subtle nudges, those little hints just go right over my head. Why? Because we aren't spending enough quality time together. It's easy to get out of step with each other's needs and what would make the other person happy. And and so it's the same way with us and God. If we're not spending time together with Him and, and then He's whispering things to us, how are we going to hear Him if we're not spending time together to know His heart, to know what He desires for us. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, how much time, how much quality time do you spend together with God your Father? How much time? That might be your answer. So I challenge you today, pray the same prayer that that young man did. Lord, if you speak to me, I promise to obey. We have to be willing to listen. And then secondly, we have to be willing to not only listen, but to obey. We saw in the video, Jonah heard God. He could listen on one level, but did he obey? No, he didn't, did he? Not, not right away anyways. And so when we go back to the story of Philip, we notice that Philip is told to do something, and instantly he obeys. There are no objections, excuses, or even questions asked for more information. He just takes it at face value, and he does it. In fact, he could have made some very valid objections to that angel. Remember, Philip was having great success preaching in Samaria. And when someone is having success, it's just natural to want to keep going with it, right? It's like, wow, things are great. I want to stay here. I want to be a part of this. That would have been a a temptation for Philip. But yet he just instantly, okay, head south into the desert, I'm going. I want you to hear this. When God says go, conversation is not what he's looking for. When God says go, he is not looking for dialogue at this point. He is looking for obedience. When God says go, he wants you to start going, not sit down and start asking more questions. You know, In Philip's shoes, many of us would have argued with the Lord about his next step for us. You know, I'm sure I would have. I confess that. You know, I probably would have said, Look, Lord, revival's broken out. I'm finally a part of something exciting, and this is just what I want, and can't I stay here, please? Why the desert? But Philip didn't say any of those things, did he? He just went. 
And notice he also did not say, well, Lord, let me pray about this to see if this is really your will. You know, the spiritualized version of disobedience. You know, when God says go, he's not looking for conversation. He is looking for obedience. I appreciated when I was talking with Barb about this subject the other day. And the importance of obedience she brought up within the military. And so when an officer walks into the room and someone shouts something like, Officer on deck! Instantly, everyone stands up straight, ramrod straight, hands at the sides, feet together. There is no allowance for delay or questions. You know, is it really an officer or not? You know, like, you don't second guess it. You just do it. You know, they ruthlessly discipline everyone to instantly obey within the military. Why? Because in times of crisis or conflict, the difference between immediate obedience, the difference between immediately obeying an order, and even a short time of delay, can be the difference between life and death. Failure or success can hang in the balance. And so when God told Philip to head south, think about this, the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot was already on the road. Things are already in motion for what God had in store for Philip. The chariot's already on its way. So if Philip had delayed for even a few hours, he would have missed this opportunity completely. Imagine if he'd said, you know, Lord, I'm going to head out tomorrow. I'm going to pray on this for a day or so, and, and tomorrow I'll see about obeying or not. If he had done that, he would have missed it. Immediate obedience was essential. And so, too, when we delay in obeying the Holy Spirit's promptings, many times the opportunity has already passed us by. So learn to not only listen, but to obey. And then finally, the third thing for this morning is this. Show love in practical ways. Now we see that Philip has obeyed the angel and the Holy Spirit. And here he is, you know, running alongside this chariot out in this desert road. And here in this chariot is this powerful man who happens to be the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia who is on his way home with his entourage, most likely, from a visit to Jerusalem. Now clearly we can see from this narrative that he is a religious man because he has gone to Jerusalem to worship. And he's obviously intrigued by the God of the Jews. Because it says, you know, having gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he is on his way back to Ethiopia, he is reading the Hebrew Scriptures. He is reading specifically the book of Isaiah. But we know that after all of this, he is still coming up empty. He still has questions. And so now here's Philip, literally running beside his chariot. And I just wonder what they thought of this guy. You know, it's desert. It's hot. You know, he must have had sweat pouring down his face from traveling. And he's just covered in dust and grime. You know, chariots are kicking up dirt, you know, and here he is running alongside it. You know, and on top of that, consider the culture of the day that considered running, especially for an adult man, running was considered a very undignified thing to do. Because in order to run, you kind of had to pick up your, your uh, coattails, and you had to run. And this would be like showing your feet, and it was a very undignified thing to do. Only children really ran. And so for Philip to be running alongside of a chariot, he was throwing aside dignity. He was throwing aside all pretense. Here he is in complete, reckless obedience to what the Holy Spirit of God is telling him to do. And look what happens next. Philip is exactly where God wants him to be at exactly the right time because he has listened 
and he has obeyed. But now what? Now what? Does he wait for another angel to instruct him on what to do next? Does he have to wait for the the Spirit of God to prompt him on what to do? No, look closely at what Philip does in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Here Philip is, the right place at the right time, and now it's, now it's up to him. God's saying, I've put you here, I've, I've equipped you for this moment. Now use your ears, use your mind, use, use your, your abilities that I've given you. And he looks for an opening. And what does he do? Philip simply looked for a way that he could help this man by meeting a tangible need. Noticing that they were reading scriptures, he spots his opening and he just simply asks a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, the eunuch replies, How can I unless someone explains it to me? There it is, an open door. And he invites Philip to come up into his chariot. And from there he explains to him who this prophecy was about, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it seems so simple, right? It seems so simple. And I want to say to you, that's because it is simple when God is at work. It's been said that love is a universal language. Quite simply, when we look for ways to show God's love to people by helping them in tangible ways, by meeting a need, by asking a question, can I help you out? Do you, do you need help explaining this? When we look for ways to help someone, to show love in tangible ways, God will be at work in that. And here we see what God does with Philip's willingness to obey what God told him to do instantly, obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and then he looks for an opening to share the love of Jesus Christ with this man. And you know what the result of this is? Not only does this powerful man, in this moment, the light bulb goes on, and he believes, and he says, I want to get baptized. And so Philip just says, all right, you know what, it's clear, you believe He says, there's some water. Let's go do it. They get baptized. And guess where they're going? They're heading back to Ethiopia. A powerful man of influence is now going back with the message of Jesus Christ to the people of Africa and the people specifically of Ethiopia. And the church legend has it that it was this Ethiopian eunuch who planted the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church was planted in Ethiopia. And in fact, the Christian church has had a present a presence, a powerful presence in Ethiopia from that day and that time right through till today. Where was that planted? It was planted by the obedience of Philip to go when God said go. And then when he was there, what did he do? He looked for a way to show love through tangible means. And so how do we apply all of these things? Well, we listen. And when we listen and we discern that, yes, God is speaking to us, we obey And we show love. And the results, they're not in our hands anyways. They're in God's hands. But we can believe that when we do these things, God is going before us and he has incredible, powerful things in store for anyone who will listen, obey, and love. And you know what? I believe that this is something that any Christian can engage in. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Paul. You don't have to be Philip. You can just be yourself. And you can learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God is telling you through His Word. And as you come to church on Sunday, if He's speaking to your heart right now, listen. And right now, if He's saying, you know what, there's something specific I want you to do this week, and even maybe today, 
obey, obey, and see what God wants to do with that. And above all of these things, and underneath all of these things, is love. Love in all that you do. Love in all that you say. Because without love, all of this is meaningless. But with love, oh my friends, God will do great and amazing things. And he's doing them right now today. He's doing them in this church. He is saving people within this community. We are a part of this, my friends. And God wants to show us how much more he wants to do in this town. Because there are many, many more people here who I know are just waiting to experience the love of God. They just don't know it yet. And so we can show it to them in tangible ways. And when they receive it for themselves, the results are in God's hands. He will change a life. We can't do that, but we can show people the one who can. And so may our heart's desires be stirred to that end. May we say, Lord, yes, I will obey. Speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do and help me to do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything that you have done for us, for this church, for these people here this morning, Lord. You have done so much for us at Bay Avenue. Lord, we're here because of you. We're here because of your love. And so, Lord, we pray that in your love and in your spirit, you would send us out, Lord, with this message of love in our hearts. Help us to have ears to listen and give us spirits willing to obey, Lord, to not delay when you ask us to do something, but to instead say, yes, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that you would add your blessing. And that, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's just at a position where they just need your love for themselves, Lord, I pray that you would just show them how much you love them. I pray, Lord, that you would just open their hearts to understand that this great God of love is for them. That you came, Lord, for them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just show us again how much you love us and how much this can change our lives. I pray, Lord, that this message would change this community and that, Lord, whereas any who are, who are broken and hurting, that you would go there and that we would be the hands and feet who would bring this message of healing and hope. I pray, Lord, that wherever there is a need, we would be willing to go and meet that need in the name of Jesus. And that, Lord, as we do these things, you will be honored, your power will be at work, and you will bring about the harvest. And so we pray, Lord, that you would send workers into your harvest, and here we are. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen.